Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Cindy and Chrissy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with changing the ideals and expectations of motherhood. Every other week, we dive into the topics that matter to moms most, answering your most pressing questions as we learn from top-notch experts, swap stories, tap into our creative sides, and advocate for the causes that moms truly care about. All while hanging with your mom friends. We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Are you ready for another great episode of Mama Needs a Moment? Today, we're talking with Liz Chavez, who is a mom, book lover, and teacher who strives to actively practice anti-racism. She is best known for her social media handle and her bookshop.org account, both under the username Mrs. Chavez Reads, all one word. On both social media and bookshop.org, she shares book suggestions that help parents and teachers build inclusive homes and classrooms. We weren't shy when asking Liz questions. We were eager to know about how she integrates the craziness of motherhood with the busy job of being a full-time teacher. We wanted to know more about her journey of being a white woman married to a Mexican man and raising biracial daughters. We also made sure to ask Liz about her favorite anti-racism books and tips for helping children of all ages develop essential literacy skills. All right, friends, we hope you enjoy. So we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. We're going to start with some fun questions. We always like to kind of get a a feel for our guests and think this is a good way to do it. So rapid fire questions. Don't think too much. Just first thing that pops into your mind, just throw it out there. So first one's a fill in the blank. Motherhood is hard. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We all kind of chuckle like... (laughs) Yes, that's a a very, very common answer. And it's an accurate answer. The cleanest room in your house. My kitchen, because I'm terrified of bugs. My my mom is like that. I was raised very much on a like, everything in the kitchen must be spotless. And it was the same reason. I heard about the bugs all the time. Uh, What is bringing your life sanity right now? That it's spring and the sun is shining. Um, our daffodils are sprouting. And in North Carolina, it's been like the worst rainy weather ever. So the sun. It makes such a big difference. It really does. <laughs> such a big difference. Yes, absolutely. What do you look for in a mom friend? I think it's such a buzzword, but I do feel like authenticity. Just like for someone to be real and honest and like more than a superficial friend. Yeah. And in turn, someone you feel comfortable being that way with, like it's that, it's that mutual, mutual relationship. Totally agree. Best vacation you've ever taken. It's kind of sad, but um, (laughs) for my husband's birthday, like during, you know, this whole pandemic situation, we rented a condo, like an oceanfront condo for a few days. And it was like 60 degree weather and it was just us. And we had to get takeout. We didn't do anything like fun. It was just so nice to be in different set of four walls and be able to hear the ocean and mm-hmm. just take a breather. It was just wonderful. Everyone, my, my kids were happy. We were just all so thankful that we just, and they had been jackhammering in my neighborhood because they're building a house <laughs> across the street. So I was like, what he needs for his birthday is to not listen to jackhammering. And we're going to uh-huh. listen to the ocean that. And it was a really good call, like best decision ever. Yes. Change of pace. But when there's jackhammering involved, we have a renovation project going. So I feel this on a deep visceral level. (laughs) One thing you'd like to learn. I would really like to learn more Spanish. I'm okay-ish, but there's always room for improvement. You have three girls, right? Three daughters? Daughters. And none of them speak Spanish very well or really at all. My husband is fully bilingual and biliterate. I know, and I practiced a lot last week with families, which was really exciting, but we're just kind of isolated from the language. All of his families in California or still in Mexico. And so I would just like to know it more, but it's hard to learn it. It is. I, some people just really have a knack for it. My partner, Noah, he's one of them. He just picks up languages like that. And I always look at him like, he's like that with everything though. So annoying. (laughs) That is such a gift. Oh, so cool. I hope he passed it along to my daughter, but uh, 
What do you like to do on a Friday night? Well, right now my favorite thing to do on Friday nights is kind of silly, but I love to take a shower and like put the kids to bed and take a shower and then not have to get ready. So like not have to put on makeup, not have to do any of that stuff and just be clean and like refreshed. And then lately I've been doing a tradition on my Instagram page where I tell a funny story every Friday night on my stories. And it's just been a way to kind of like laugh. My husband likes to watch boxing and stuff at night. So I'm like, I'll just go tell a funny story and get clean. And it's nice to just. I love that. That's fantastic. It's been fun. I think we need to share more funny stories. We need more humor in life right now. Yeah. So it's kind of fun. they're always like a little self-deprecating, but you know, I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> I'm prone to that humor as well. What are you reading or watching right now? I'm such a bad TV watcher. I don't have a very good attention span. I do love sports. So it was fun to watch. It's been fun to watch. I'm a UNC fan. So it's been fun to watch them and they had fans in the stadium. So it was nice to hear like cheering again. And then as far as reading, I'm reading a lot of middle grade novels. So middle grade novels are books from age like eight to 12. And there are so many new wonderful ones out now. They didn't have these kinds of books when we were young. So they're just the most heartwarming coming of age, neat stories where you can actually learn a lot about a lot of different groups of people that you may not know that much about through these stories. So that's what I'm doing. That's awesome. And I'm really excited to dive more into that and learn more from you about that in just a bit. So final rapid fire question, although I popped in and talked so much, they weren't very rapid fire. Sorry, but <laughs> I've, I've, been, <laughs> I've been denying myself. I'm like, oh, I'll just sit back. <laughs> How do you picture your empty nest days? Oh, I look forward to my empty nest days a lot. I don't know if this is normal, but, <laughs> but I look at them as I really hope that they are like slow and they're luxurious and that they're full. Like I have three daughters and I hope that I get to see my mom didn't get to see us. You know, she passed away when I was 26, so she didn't get get didn't get this part of her life and so I know that getting to that part of my life would be such I just look so forward to getting to see them and what they come of what they make of their lives and who they become so I hope it's full and luxurious and whole and quiet and carefree and I don't know I mean I'm looking forward to it oh absolutely I am so right there with you. <laughs> That's a positive attitude because you never know if they're going to be, your kids are going to be living with you again. So, yeah. <laughs> so I heard the silence. Everybody was like, um. <laughs> I know, and I, some people like dread them and I look forward to them. I don't know if that's just me being weird, but I'm like, I think I really need that they'll come and stay and then they'll go home. <laughs> That would, that's what grandparents say. Yeah. Liz, you're an ESL teacher in Wake County Public School System in North Carolina. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about how you got into teaching and why this work means so much to you? I'll start with, in case anyone doesn't know what an ESL teacher is, it's an English as a second language teacher. So I work with students who have another language at home, speak another language at home, and they're in English, of course, is their second or third or fourth language. So I came to be a teacher. My mom was a teacher. My grandfather was a teacher for a bit. I always wanted to be a teacher. And then in North Carolina, there's a program called the Teaching Fellows, and it provides you a full scholarship if you promise to get a teaching degree. And then you have to teach for four years after that. So I signed up to do that when I was 17 and I got it. And I've just been on this route ever since. Um, Before I was an ESL teacher, I taught first and second grade, primarily in Durham and Raleigh for about 10 years. And then I transitioned to teach ESL. Um, I don't know. I, when I was in college, I double majored. I think my first experience with people, I'm from a very small town. And so my first experience with people really of another culture that English is their second language was through a job. And so I just sort of fell in love with the people I worked with. And I was very fascinated in the idea of learning another language and what that means when you're an immigrant and coming to America or being a child of an immigrant. And so um, 
I double majored and then I just kind of transitioned into it when I became a mom. I transitioned kind of into this role a few years after I became a mom because it was just, it was a bit easier to manage in a way, but it's also a bit harder because you have to, I'm at two schools and so it's just a lot to manage, but I really enjoy it. And one of my favorite parts about it is that you get to work with families. So I get to work with siblings. I get to, you know, they come in in kindergarten and then I see them all the way through. When you're a regular classroom teacher, you just see them for one year and then they move on. And of course I have kids exit, but I get out of the program. I just get to see them grow up and I get to know their families and their cousins and their siblings. And it's just a neat way to know the whole child. It sounds so lovely to be able to connect with a child for that long. It's sending it to the beginning of every year. It's like you have to start all over as a classroom teacher and you've just gotten them to where they need to be. And every year you start all over again. And then for me, it's like they come back and like, hi, how are you? You know, the first year was really weird because I didn't know anybody. And I was like this. And it takes a really long time to make those connections because you see them for such shorter amounts of time. But over the years, it really pays off. That's really, I, I think that, so I'm a former classroom teacher. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I used to teach Wake County. I was high school. Oh. And so hats off to you. It is by far the hardest profession out there. Perhaps only being a mom would, would like <laughs> surpass it. <laughs> it's but very challenging. It, it is. It, but I, it's rewarding. It's incredibly rewarding, but also one of the most thankless jobs that's out there. It like simultaneously, it, yeah. it's a very, a very weird mix. Hand in hand. And I think like nurses and moms and, you know, they're also very female driven jobs. Yeah. So it's interesting how they pair those two traits. Of how, So how long have you been a teacher? This is my 15th year. I'm halfway wow. to. <laughs> I'm not counting or anything. <laughs> no, what teacher counts? <laughs> That's amazing. So you said you're a mom, you have three daughters. I One of the questions that we're just dying to know, how do you integrate? And I'm saying integrate on purpose because last year we had a few experts come on who kind of railed against the whole idea of balance, like Mm. balance in life and work. It's just not really possible and it shouldn't be the goal. It's more about integration. So I'm trying to kind of adopt that terminology because I see the merit of it. So how do you integrate the craziness of motherhood with the very, very busy job of being a full-time teacher? Have you found any tricks that make your day-to-day life run more smoothly? It is a lot to integrate. Um, Language matters. I am a language teacher and I totally agree. It really does matter. I think for me, I try to, I try to each day, you know, I do my job. I've gotten better about doing my job during my job hours and being, setting boundaries of, um, when I'm at home, I'm trying to be a mom. And then also as far as the kids, I, you know, the one thing that we do every day is we always eat dinner together. We always eat dinner together around the kitchen table. And so if we do that every day, it gives us a chance to all look at each other and talk to each other. And, you know, I also try to give the kids a hug. This sounds very simple, but like at the end of the day, if I've done my work and I've looked my child in the eyes and I've given my child a hug and I've fed my child and I've told my child that I love them, even that is a big job. And so I just try to connect with them each day in that sort of way and then just try to do the best I can at my job. But I think that, and dropping the guilt, like I really don't get that wrapped up into guilt. You know, I, I know that I'm doing my best and I'll tell my kids I'm doing the best I can do, but I try every Every day to touch my kids, look at my kids, read to my kids, and then share a meal together. As you were saying all that, I actually got tear prickles in the back of my eyes. <laughs> I, I think that's beautiful. And I am the opposite end of the spectrum. I live in guilt. I'm working on it. I, I know I, I don't want to. It's just, it's, it's I, yeah, I, I want, I need to learn from you. I need to go sit down with you, take notes and learn from you, Liz, because, <laughs> but I, I think that's beautiful. I think that you are right. There are some days where, or some weeks where the job might take a bigger role. And then there are some weeks where motherhood might need to take a bigger seat in the 
I don't know, the realm of life, I guess. But yeah, every day, if you've done your best and you did look your child in the eyes and give them a hug and sit and have a meal with them, that that is a successful day. And it's just remembering that. So I'm going to work on that. I'm going to actually take notes on what you just said. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so one thing you said that really resonated with me is that you set boundaries. And that's what I've experienced and from talking to so many women is that's one area that women really struggle is setting those boundaries. And it's very admirable to hear you say that you have those boundaries in place. I I really try. For example, I've been making all these phone calls at work for whatever reason lately to it's because of virtual teaching and testing. Uh-huh. So anyway, I'm having to collaborate with all these families about getting their kids in anyway. And one of the moms was like, well, can I call you this weekend? And I wanted to, I felt like, well, I should probably just say yes. It'll just be a phone call. But then I thought, I, I said, I was proud of myself. I was very nervous to say, but I was like, actually on the weekend, it's my time to be a mom. You know, my children expect me to I mean, that's my time to be with them. I have three children. She's like, well, you have three kids. She only had one. I was like, yeah, three. And she's like, you are busy. So she was really sweet about it. But I wanted to say, sure. But then it's like, I don't really want to set that precedent. You know, I don't want Mm -hmm. to. I give a lot of my time to my job when I'm there. But when I'm home, I try my best to be a mom. That's also the time that I get to be me, which is a whole nother ball of wax. But um, set boundaries and then... We hear a lot about like doing so many things with our kids, but if, if I look back at my childhood, I don't remember doing a lot of things with my kids, but I know that I ate dinner with my family every night. I know that my mom hugged me and talked to me and honored me and sang to me and looked at me. I just thought, I just remember being connected to my family. I don't remember what we, all the things that we did. So I think that that day over day will sustain us in the busy seasons and that sort of thing. Do you think that you've gotten better at setting boundaries? Like you've been a teacher for 15 years. I think some of your girls are a little bit older now. Do you think you've gotten better or have you just always been good at boundaries? When I was a young teacher, I worked all the time. Like I remember my mom calling me when I was in my first few years of teaching and I would still be at school at eight o'clock at night. And she'd be like, why are you at school? I'm like, well, there's just so much to do. And she's she would always say, like, you're never going to be done. You're never going to stay long enough so that everything is done. So I think prioritizing has helped, you know, work on the stuff that has got to be done, organize things in a way that are more manageable. You know, so when you're planning something for your classroom or even you're planning something in motherhood, think about like, how is this going to be maintained? Like, how in the world am I going to manage this? So don't set something up that's going to require me to be the only person who can do it because that's not helpful. So I, I spent a lot of time teaching my students to be independent and setting up systems that they can help me maintain. And then setting up systems at home are just ways of living at home that my family can help me and that they can be responsible for doing some things too. Which I think helps make the work more manageable so that the boundaries are possible, perhaps. How old are your kids now, Liz? My oldest daughter is 13. She is my stepdaughter. So I met her. She, I came into her life when she had just turned four. So she's now 13. She's in seventh grade. And then my, my first biological daughter, she had just turned seven. She's in first grade. And then my youngest is about to be four. So they're kind of spread out. And then all of the kiddos do family contributions, it sounds like, from what you were saying. Yeah, we try. My my 13-year-old, she's with us for one week and then she's with her mom for one week. So we do 50-50 custody. And she is the most helpful, best kid ever. Like she's one of those people who sees something that needs to be done and she does it. Like she's not even, it's amazing. She's an anomaly. so lucky. She's so wonderful. I'm thinking to myself, we've got to have you on again and have this be the topic, how to get your children to help. (laughs) It's also just who she is. You know, she's such an independent, responsible kid. She's just the best. And then with my seven-year-old, she requires a bit more direction, guidance. (laughs) You know, my four-year-old's the youngest of three. So she's a little, you know, she likes to do things for her, but But in actuality, I teach my kids to do things for themselves. So like my seven-year-old packs her own lunch. 
it's time to pack your lunch. So here are the things that you can pack. And I will help. But for the most part, she packs her own lunch. They do a lot of things for themselves. I mean, I, I feel bad saying that, but I help them do things. But I'm also raising children with the, as someone who lost a parent before they became a parent. So I'm always thinking about, I need you to be able to take care of yourself. I want you to have confidence in yourself. I want you to be independent. You're raising adults. They're not going to be little forever, right? So <laughs> they've got to have these skills. <laughs> but sometimes I, sometimes my husband is like, yes. Oh. It, it is like a balance for me, but yeah. And I think it's nice, you know, we can do things together. Um, but yeah, like she packs her own lunch. I let them pick out their own clothes, you know. When you need people to help you get things done, you have to give them more responsibility, but then you also have to release the expectation that it's going to look just like you want it to look. That's so hard. they might look a little wacky with the clothes they've chosen, but I didn't have to pick them. You know, I washed them and they were clean, but just turning over that responsibility, I think helps them gain confidence and it helps you not have to do all the work. And I feel like some moms just do all of the work. And it allows them to have a way, an outlet to explore their individuality as well with, yeah. how, with how they're dressing and, and whatnot. So yeah. Oh, that's great that you, you do that. I need to take some notes. My <laughs> kids fight back. So yeah. It has been easier. My two, my two oldest enjoy doing things for themselves. So that's the, there's that. The youngest one does not. You know, you ask her to do anything and her back is tiring is what she calls Her back is tiring. <laughs> tiring. And so that's going to like, it's not natural for her to, she doesn't care to be independent. She likes people to help her do things. She wants people to help her do things. She has two older sisters who have always helped her do things. So it's, it's a, everybody has different kids, you know? So my two oldest ones are geared more for independence. My youngest one. So my four-year-old, when you said the back thing, um, she's independent on a lot of things, but she also, when she, she doesn't want to do something and she wants help her things, she falls to the ground very dramatically says my legs can't stand up right now. (laughs) It's it's just very dramatic. Like her legs are broken now. It's so, they're so dramatic at this age today. (laughs) We were cleaning rooms and she, her back was tiring and she was melting, but we got there. We got there. It requires, she likes me to sit with her and watch her do stuff. So I did a lot of that, but yeah, I think that it's not fair for one person in the family to do all of the work. And, you know, I think that they gain a self of a sense of confidence and learning to do new things and learning to exert their independence. And hopefully it will pay off in the long run. (laughs) Liz, you're very open about your journey being a white woman married to a Mexican man and raising biracial daughters. What has this journey looked like for you? And do you, do you have a specific story that you'd be able to share with us about your work in anti-racism and the positive effect that you've seen it having? Big question. I think kind of my journey down this road began mostly as a teacher. Uh, My first, I'm for, like I said, I'm from a very small, not diverse community in North Carolina. And it wasn't just a part of me growing up. I was taught to be kind and I was taught to not judge others. And I was taught to have an open mind, but I didn't have a lot of experience with other people, like people who were different from me. And I grew up hearing a lot of things that weren't great to hear. You know, that I grew up with a lot of covert racism around me, I would say in my community. And so I guess going, I went to UNC Chapel Hill and UNC Chapel Hill is a very liberal, lots of different kinds of people, lots of new experiences. It was a really eye-opening experience for me just to sort of get to see and learn and read and do different things. And then being a teacher, my, my first teaching job was in Durham. And in one of my classrooms, I had 10 languages. There were 26 kids and there were 10 languages represented in that classroom. And so it's just sort of always I got to learn a lot in that experience and it was necessary to thrive as a teacher because you can't teach students if you don't honor who they are. And so it's just been something that I've always sort of been interested in. And then when I 
you know, when I met my husband for a long time, I just was like, I just see you as you. But then, you know, he wasn't really Mexican. He was just, you know, my husband. And so that sounds weird, but I just saw him as a person. And then um, realizing that seeing him experience life like adjacent to me and his experience weren't exactly like my experiences and learning about his experiences and telling about my experiences and seeing the ways that the way he reacts to situations that I would have never thought of reacting that way um, or just so many examples of we haven't had the same path and we haven't had the same options and we haven't had the same privileges. So that was just very eye-opening. And then the last thing is realizing that there's a real need for me to take on sort of a, this sort of lens was I'm not raising white daughters. So I'm a white mother, but I'm not raising white children. And so that would look different if I were, I think, because I would be what I think white mothers have a very important job who are raising white children right now. I think it's become very important that very apparent that we all have a really important job to do um, in this arena, but I'm just, I'm raising Mexican and American daughters. And so just trying to find a way to accept their own identity and then also be respectful of the others around them is important to me. So it's something I've got to think about and practice and work with. And just keep showing up and trying. I don't know that I'm getting it right. <laughs> and do you, does your husband still have family members where he's from in Mexico? He, when he came to America, he came when he was 12. And so they moved to Southern California. So he has family in Mexico City where he's from. And then his immediate family is in Southern California. And so then do your kids get, do they get to see the different culture uh, that way? Not very often. Um, we had gotten to see them more before the pandemic. <laughs> right. I was like waiting for it. <laughs> before that, um, there were, they were, they were are a mixed status family. So some family, meaning mixed status means some family members have freedoms to fly and some do not. And so that makes living on two sides of the the nation very challenging sometimes, but we were able to see them more before the pandemic. So we're really looking forward to seeing them more when this all kind of calms down. Liz, uh, your Instagram page is amazing. Mrs. Chavez reads, um, you share lots of great books and just tips and then insights to your life and funny stories, apparently that I need to get on. I'm usually not on Friday evenings, I will say. That's like my one time where I take a step away from social media. So pat on the back for that. Yes. Uh, I'll need to check out your funny stories. Yeah, like all Saturday morning. So that's fine. <laughs> uh, so what are some of your favorite anti-racism books for children? Do you have any recommendations? And then also, I know you do read a lot. Do you have any books that you've really loved for adults with regard to anti-racism reading? So my two favorite ones right now for kids are, I think, just kind of, I think a lot of people think the goal, and I'm not an expert, I'm just showing up and trying, and I have done some studying, you know, I did, I have a master's in language, literacy, and culture from the University of Michigan, so I studied and learned a lot about lots of different types of things, and I've done a lot of read, reading, but I think the um, a big idea is that a lot of families think that the, like, colorblind is the goal, like, we just don't want to see color, we want to treat everyone equally, we want to just sort of ignore race, like, it's just not see it, and so um, I think that is the piece that we do need to tweak, and the fact that we do, we do, to honor a person is to honor all of them, and a race is a big part of who you are, and one of my favorite books, um, it's called Let's Talk About Race. Ah, this is just the best book. It's by Julius Lester. And I read this book to my, to my students when I was a teacher long, you know, the very beginning of my career. So this book has been out for a while, but it does a really good job of talking about how each person has a story and that their story is comprised of many things. And race is one of those things. And it just does a really good job of honoring the whole of the person. And so at the end of the book, he tells his story and encourages kids. So, so I'll just read it. It says, do I look at you and think I know your story? 
when I don't even know your name? Or do I look at you and wonder, what's your name? When were you born? Where were you born? Where do you live? What do you like? What don't you like? Gee, maybe we like and dislike some of the same things. And then he tells his story and it says, your race is not, your race is not all that you are. My race is not all that I am. Yes, I am black, but I am also a man. I am of medium height. I have a deep voice and a loud laugh. I live in a big house in the woods in a small town. I like pancakes and macaroni and cheese and, and, and so... It just goes on to tell his story and something I would do with my students is they would create like a self-portrait and say their name and their race. And then you would turn it over you and hear all these other details about them. So it does a good job of acknowledging that your race is a part of who you are, but it is not all that you are. That book sounds amazing. I would love to have it for, for our girls. We have two girls and that would be (laughs) great for them to read. And Literacy-based learning, literacy in general, is such an important skill for children. Can you share some insider tips or tricks for moms when it comes to helping children develop those essential literacy skills? And if you could provide tips for young children as well as older children, that would be great. Yeah, I'll do my best. I think one of the things I believe in most is like face-to-face communication There are a lot of screens in our lives and there are a lot of apps and there are a lot of tricks and games and all these things that are going to teach your child to read. But I believe that for the young, for young kids, that one of the best things you can do is just look them face to face and talk to them and have them talk to you. Another good thing for language development is narrating. You know, I remember when my kids are really young, they were babies. They're like, look, I'm washing the dishes. Look at all of the bubbles, so many bubbles. And just sort of talking, talking, talking so that they're getting a lot of language input. Our kids are people and people are meant to learn from people. I know that that's not a fancy thing to say or catchy to say, but I think that's something that we've all kind of forgotten. So look at your kids, sing to them, read to them, talk to them. And then something I'm working on now is I have a first grader. This has not been the best time for a first grader to learn to read. <laughs> Our kindergarten year is interrupted. First grade year has been interrupted. Um, so I am remaining positive and trying to keep it fun and being encouraging and practicing. She's much more motivated to read when she gets to choose a book that she likes instead of me, you know, saying you have to read this one. So a lot of times with my kids, they each will choose a book and then I will choose a book. So if they don't pick a book that I think is a great choice for them, then I picked a book, but they also feel like they've, they've picked a book too. And then for older kids, my oldest is loves to read. We have spent a lot of time at authors events together. We have spent a lot of time at the library together, you know, not this past year, but just developing like an identity as a reader that in this family we read and we talk about the books that we read and we read together and we share our books and we go to the bookstore. That's an event for our family. And then my last trick that has really helped the first grader is we do something called a reading sprint where we grab a book, we get in my bed and I have a book too, because I also like to read. So I'll get a book. My first grader will get a book. And then my seventh grader will get a book. We'll all get in my bed and I'll set a timer for 10 minutes. So everyone has to read for 10 minutes. And they, she thinks it's fun. So I think there's something about like getting to be in mama's bed and the timer's on and we're going to ready, set, read. And so that's been a way to get some extra practice in. So try reading sprint if you need to read and then just, then you're modeling it too, which I think is fun. What I'm hearing is it's not as much about the sprint of the speed of how you're reading, but more the idea that you're together in one spot, doing it and starting and stopping at the same time. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's not like, but yeah, it's just kind of like, you know, we're going to get this in and we're going to, I was like, let's go do our readings. We're like, run and get the book and jump in the bins. Okay, start. And then, and it's usually for my first grade, it's usually a reread. So she's practicing books that she knows how to read, which is helpful because it's not very effective to do a reading spread on a new read because then she's stuck and then I'm not reading because I'm helping her. So the power of rereading is great. Reread, reread, reread for little kids that are learning to read. Takes them a long time to learn a word. I love this idea of a reading sprint. I'm always trying to squeeze in like a page or two here and there. Yeah. Mommy, mommy. So I like setting a timer. And I mean, my four-year-old, she'll happily sit there and, you know, flip through, especially a book that we've read a lot. And this, this is going to be implemented. fun place. You know, I think that that has really helped Um, just because I'm trying to get her more independent with the reading instead of just reading with me that she just has to practice more and develop that skill of I am a reader and reading is a thing I can do when I don't have anything else to do or when I'm bored or when it's rest time. Like this is a, this is an option. This is fun. And this is a part of who I am. Just trying to build that identity as a reader and encourage that. Yeah. I love that. Is there a time of day that you do that the most? Uh, That's another tip. By bedtime, I am like, I want to just be like, go to bed. Here's a kiss. Good night. I love you. And done. So reading at bedtime is not my favorite. I like to read after dinner and before bed because sometimes you're trying to avoid turning on the television or you're tired or I don't know about you, but just after working all day, I'm limping to the finish line. So (laughs) often I'll make dinner. My husband will do dishes. I'm lucky that he'll, you know, we kind of trade off. So I'll make dinner. He'll do dishes. And then while he's doing dishes, we'll come and read in my room. We're our bedrooms downstairs and their bedrooms upstairs. So they'll come and kind of read in my room. And that's where we keep all of our books. I have shelves in my, in my bedroom. So, um, that just works for me. I just feel like by bedtime, I don't have the energy to be like festive with reading. I just want you to go to bed. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel you on that. <laughs> yeah. So pick, and a lot of people like to read during bath time is a fun time to read because they're already playing. And then I'll just read to them while they're taking a bath. That was a trick of mine that I got from a teacher that I talked with a long time ago. She's a mom of five. And she was like, I don't have time just to sit with you and read. You can read to me while I'm doing something. So they can read to you while you're driving. They can read to you while you're cooking. They can, it doesn't have to, you know, you can, it can go and coincide with another activity. Or sometimes it's, it's good because they're good at listening while they're like doing something else, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. This episode is sponsored by Her Circle, the supportive and welcoming community for moms created by Her Health Collective. Her Circle is a welcoming and supportive community for moms who are passionate about making change for themselves, their families, the community, and the world. Together, this village of women are revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. From an active, private online community and the incredible daily chats hosted there, to our many virtual gatherings, including support groups, Moms Night Out, volunteer opportunities, book club, family adventures, coffee chats, and so much more. We love providing moms the chance to connect and create authentic relationships with one another. The network of experts in her circle are a phenomenal resource and provide great learning experiences for moms on topics ranging from women's health to parenting. We cover the issues that matter to moms the most, from virtual expert Q&As to one-on-one wellness minute consultations and support groups. We are committed to getting moms in front of the information, experts, and support they need most. To learn more about Her Circle, head to www.herhealthcollective.com slash her dash circle. We have a limited number of spaces and the doors only open a few times a year. So be sure to add your name to the no obligation waitlist so you are the first to know when the doors officially reopen. Her Health Collective does a lot of work. We health empowerment and respect for every mom is our mission. And I love. No, thank you. Um, we know that a lot of mothers are not receiving adequate care. 
in, in our country in particular, around the world as well. So if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the care mothers receive in the United States, what would you change and why? I think I would change the in the postpartum period that people checked on moms. There's a lot of like, how is the baby? There's well checks for the baby every two weeks. There's a lot of information about taking care of the baby. The showers are for the baby, but there's not a lot for the mom. Like when a baby is born, a mother is born and becoming a mom is just a really big job. And it's so transformational and your identity is all shaken up. And so I don't feel like, and you're also in a place, I think when people try to tell you things beforehand and you, it just doesn't compute. It's like, you, and then once it happens, you're like, Oh, (laughs) I think if there were just to be more support for the postpartum period, that could be so helpful and just to normalize that it is tricky and that it is hard, but there are more support. I think meal trains are so amazing now, like Mm, a meal train. How amazing is that? But just that there would be more systems of supports for new moms. Yeah. I remember the first time I didn't have a meal train actually, but I had a lot of people drop things off sporadically to me. And I remember the first time someone brought me something, it was like this, like pizza roll, which I'm obsessed with pizza and a brownie. Also my other obsession. And I just, I sat, sat there at the counter, like she handed it, she left it on the counter and I'm just like, it was the nicest thing in the world to me. And I just didn't, I didn't know that there was this like, community around supporting a mom. I just hadn't, I I was the first of my friends really to have a kid. And I just, I didn't know that. And it it floored me. And it is such a beautiful thing to have these meal trains now. And I think it's a vital, important resource that just one of those ways that we can support moms. So definitely uh, agree with you on that. And I absolutely agree with you that you don't know until you experience it. There was this time before I had kids, my husband and I were were just married and we had renovated a house for our first year of marriage. So yes, we are still married. <laughs> and my sister came over with her two kids and my husband has these really old cameras and we had displayed them on a shelf. And I remember my sister looking at me and saying, I can't have nice things. And I was like, what are you talking about? You're just put it out there and tell the kids, no, don't let them touch it. <laughs> and now I have kids and I'm like, you know, I could, ju- I just, I 100% understand what she was saying that they grab everything and they just, they want to see it and they're curious. Right. And it's not something that you're really in charge of. Your parenting is in charge of controlling this. It just, it just is, you know, it's, it's not good parenting or bad parenting. And this is the way children are. And there's, yeah, there's a lot you just don't get about it. And I feel like if there were more just checking on mom, you know, just there were just more expectations that after a baby is born that yes, the baby will have well checks every two weeks, but there's something in place for the mom. Speaking of something for mom, you had mentioned like showers and stuff for the baby. So when my daughter turned one, I of course had a birthday party for her, which one-year-old birthday party is really for the parents anyway. But I also, I threw a party with all my girlfriends. I called it the, this this probably sounds horrible. I called it the, I kept my baby alive for a year party. (laughs) I had all my girlfriends come. We we went out pre-COVID, obviously. Um, We all went out, had wine. um, And it was just like a girl's night. It was just a reason really to get together with my girls. And I am prone to try to make things sound funny when I'm doing it. So Right, but I, I encourage all moms at that one year mark, have a birthday party and then have a party for you. Have a girl's night out. You deserve it. <laughs> I totally agree. I, my seven-year-old, her birthday is so emotional for me because it, it marks, you know, every year that she's alive, it marks that how many every years I've been a mom. And it's like, I've been doing this. I've done it. Like I've survived seven years of motherhood. Woo! It's a real feat and it, it should totally be celebrated. That is such a cool idea. I love that. That is a great idea. That's really great. Liz, what are you struggling with right now? What's your biggest struggle currently in your role as a mom? I think it's the parenting in a pandemic situation. It's, um, 
It's the isolation that, you know, that my kids have faced for a year. They are back in school, but it's such, I don't think our culture does a very good job of like the takes a village to raise a child. I don't, I think that we have a long way to go in that, but then a pandemic just makes it so much worse. And so it's a lot of pressure to be the only person you feel like is pouring into your child. You know, you're the only adult who's just picking up their confidence or teaching them something new, or I just miss that. I miss that they were getting poured into by hobbies and teachers and friends. And that's been hard to navigate that. And particularly when our cups are so depleted because we are not getting poured into in a lot of the other ways that we used to. And so when they need us, it's just like, okay, gather up you know, whatever I need to gather up to help you kind of get through this little bump in the road. So I don't know about you all, but that oh, was, I agree. Yeah. yeah. When you said that Christine, I looked at Christine. I was like, yes, that is one of the huge things of her health collective is to try to create that community mentality again, that just seems to have disappeared over the last several generations. So I joined, so I'm very excited. We're so happy to have you too, Liz. When, when I saw your name come in, I got so excited. Welcome to the circle. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited about it because it's not, motherhood's a really hard thing to do. And me not having a mom and my my mother-in-law being in California, like, I don't have anyone really who's teaching me how to do this. There's no one who is, I can look to and ask questions and call a lot of it. You know, I have, I have friends, but I don't have the support system that a lot of mothers do. And then the support system that we did have, a lot of that has just evaporated. And so I think it will be nice to, I think that it's so nice that you are trying to help people establish that so that we can learn from each other and help each other. And I miss that part. I I think that I, I am nostalgic for that idea of that people are working together to kind of steward our children into adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a whole generational shift um, in this new brave new world we're living in. So Definitely. Thank you. And we're, we are so happy to have you. Um, as we're wrapping up, we have one final question for you. What is one piece of advice you would like to give moms when it comes to their children's educational growth? I think that there's a big push for people to do things earlier and faster and better. And if you can give yourself and your kids the grace to do things in their own time. You know, not everybody blooms at the same time. And just because not everybody learns to read at the same time has really no bearing on the fact that everybody, you know, almost all people learn to read in general. Um, And there's a lot of that that comes from school too. I kind of feel like I'm the one who's always like, Let's give them more time. <laughs> but I always think about like, if we wanted better drivers, like if we're like, oh, the, the new drivers are horrible. They're just not very effective. The last thing we would do would, would be expect them to drive two years earlier. We wouldn't push it back. We would give them more time. And so, you know, it's easy to look at what everyone else is doing, but not all flowers bloom at the same time. And to, um, this is the long run. We're in a long game. So uh, continue to give your kids grace and yourself grace and um, keep encouraging them. You know, they'll get there. Such a great analogy about the the driver. Um, I've never heard that before. And yes, absolutely. I struggled so much, especially in my daughter's first year of life with comparing to all the milestones and she's not there yet. And something's wrong. And like Dr. Google. And, you know, I just went down that rabbit hole and I I think I've gotten a lot better. It's still there. That mom guilt I talked about. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard um, to do that, not to constantly measure, but they'll grow. They really will. Yeah. I, I appreciate that so much. Liz, it was such a joy to talk with you and to get to see you. your face outside of Instagram and <laughs> yes. connect with you. And we'll, we'll get to know you more because you're in her circle and we're I'm so very excited. excited.
Thank you for having me, y'all. I'm very excited. This was lots of fun. I look forward to doing things more too. So thank you so much. Liz was wonderful to talk to. She offered little golden nuggets of wisdom throughout our conversation. Here's three that we walked away with. Number one, Liz is a full-time teacher and mom to three children. A suggestion she had to make day-to-day -day life run more smoothly was to eat dinner together as a family at the table as often as possible so you can connect. Liz briefly spoke about her childhood and the things that she remembers. She said that the things she remembers most was eating dinner together with her family every night, that her mom hugged her, talked to her, and honored her. Her mom sang to her and looked at her. She remembers being connected to her family and not necessarily all the things they did together. So Liz uses this as an example for her own family. She tries every day to look her children in the eyes, give them a hug, read to them, and share a meal together. Then she does the best she can do at her job. All of this helps her to feel that she can drop the guilt because, quote, I know I'm doing the best I can do, end quote. Number two, Liz spoke on the importance of setting boundaries. She said that she teaches students to be independent and she sets up systems that they can help her maintain. She also does this at home so that her family can help her where they can and be responsible for doing things too. This helps to make the work more manageable so the boundaries are possible. She's raising children with the mentality of being able to take care of themselves, have confidence in themselves, and be independent. A key statement she said about this was, quote, when you need people to help you get things done, you have to give them more responsibilities, but you also have to release the expectation that it's going to look just like you want it to look, end quote. Number three, to help older children develop essential literacy skills, Liz recommends taking them to author events, spending time at the library, and helping them create an identity as a reader. For younger children, be positive, be encouraging, continue to sing, read, and talk to them. And for all children, face-to-face -face communication is important. A fun reading activity she does with her kids is called a reading sprint. Make it a game where everyone gets books, goes to a fun place in the house together, and a timer is set for 10 minutes. This isn't about how fast you read, but about the time you spend in a fun place reading together. Kids think it's great. High five, friends. We had so much fun with you. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to leave a review. We love hearing what you have to say. Until next time, stay true to you. Thank you.